Today is November 3rd, 2019. How was that extra hour of sleep for you? Oh, amen. Or if you're like me and you just stayed up an extra hour later, so it doesn't matter. The title of today's sermon is Certified Weapons. See, our heavenly commander has been instructing us. He's been inclining our heart, especially at the conference. He began to put in things inside of us and direct and mold and shape our hearts. And then he began to warn our souls. Did not the Lord warn our souls on Wednesday? Man, what an incredibly good message entitled, Nothing Else Matters. Man, he is warning us. And today, you know what he's going to do? He's going to direct our strength today. Amen? There's some men of God in the room that can get excited about God's strength flowing through you. Hey, do we have any women of God who can get excited about the strength of God being at work in you? That's I don't know, strong. Pastor. I think the women may have beat him. Uh, <laughs> Can we get a hallelujah from everyone? Hallelujah! That Turn with better. us to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start off in verse 4. Amen. Come on. I'm going to start strong. Somebody get there. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's never of two opinions on any matter. He absolutely knows what he wants to tell you, the way that he wants to direct you, and how he's going to strengthen you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. See, the Bible is made up in three parts. The Older Testament, the Tanakh, was made up of three parts. It was made up of law that inclined your heart. It was made of the prophets that warned your soul, and it was made up of the writings that helped to direct you in your everyday life of how to use the strength that he's given you. See, what he's done is he's made us, our each individual person, just like he created the Bible. See, you have your heart, you have your soul, and you have what you do, your strength in each and every day, and what you have to do is make sure that each of these parts are functioning correctly. Today, we are unashamedly aiming at your strength. We're going to trust that the Lord has already inclined the hearts of the people in this room. We heard the warning that was there last on Wednesday night. What we're doing is we're saying, Lord, what we feel like, the word that you've given us today is that we need to direct their strength. And you know what happened in our worship time? If you think back just a few minutes, y'all with me? Just a few minutes ago, what you realize is that's exactly what he was doing. He was encouraging you, saying, I'm with you. Come on, raise up your hands, raise up your heads. He was moving us and trying to direct our strength. And that's what we're going to be aimed at today. To that same topic, in Joshua 1, 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He says, be strong and be courageous. How are you, man of God, going to walk this out? We've heard such amazing things and grasping how we hear something like this that we want to obtain, but how do I actually do it? This is much akin to sayings that we hear sometimes, like, you know, be strong, be warm, you'd be well fed, go on on your way. Yes, but how? How do we be strong and courageous? Our heart this morning is that together we might answer that question where we know explicitly, directly, clear, all ambiguity out of the way. How we direct our strength so that we are not aimless. Do you want to be directed? Yes. Do you want to hit your mark? Yes. Then we're going to have to be strong this morning. Consider one of our favorites. We're going to give you a quote here. You ready for a quote? This is from C.T. Studd. 
What an awesome name of a guy, by the way. This is, that's legitimately his name, C.T. Studd. About a hundred years ago, he said this, the best training for a soldier of Christ is not merely a theological college. Amen. That's good for all of us because <laughs> not many of us have ever even considered that. They always seem to turn out sausages of varying lengths tied at each end. Sausages. C.T. Studd. Without the glorious freedom, a Christian ought to abound and rejoice in. You see, when in hand-to-hand conflict, somebody say hand-to-hand. Conflict with the world and the devil. Neat little biblical confectionery is like shooting lions with a pea shooter. Listen to this. This moved my heart as we were talking about it. One needs a man who will let himself go and deliver blows right and left as hard as he can hit, trusting in the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on, that's the kind of thing that we are trying to define ourselves, both men and women in this room, are people who can trust in the Lord and let themselves go. I mean, just start swinging for the fences. But, but pastor, what if I miss? Yeah, if you miss, it's going to be a big deal because you're swinging with everything you have. You have nothing left in reserve. See, the strength of God is acutely tied to your decision to let yourself go. We learned on Friday night while we were in discipleship training, talking about the Talmudim, that there are so many times that we can be assured. Somebody say assured. Assured. You can be confident that if you dedicate yourself fully to the Lord, that he will rush in and help you. The pastor, I, I've tried that before, but the Lord just doesn't rush in and help me. I can assure you the problem is not with God. Yep. I assure you that it's your perspective that you've let everything go. But you haven't yet actually done that. You've not yet given yourself fully to the Lord because when you do, He rushes in and helps you. Come on. Somebody say, get over yourself. Get over yourself. See, our strength is put to good use and empowered supernaturally when we depend on nothing but the Holy Spirit. Amen. Man, I was encouraged on Wednesday night. Don't take a bag with you. Don't take a tunic with you. Don't take money. Did you like anything? Nope. No, sir. We lacked nothing. See, this is, was and is the moniker of the kingdom. This idea of right and left, right and left, right and left. Everything we have each time that we do this. That's how the Bible defines our strength is what we do with our hands. Amen. So there is an actual court case that may have influenced our title. The defendant did use or exhibit a deadly weapon. Say deadly weapon. During the commission of the assault, the hand or hands of the defendant that the manner of their use or intent was capable of causing death or serious bodily injury. Today we're going to define what your hands are in the Bible. And we want to be up front and tell you that they're deadly weapons for good or bad use. That we are going to cultivate an expectancy, an intensity that means that hands become classified as deadly weapons. Turn to Deuteronomy 33. We're going to look at the seventh verse together. By the way, this uh, example for you there on the screen happened in Texas. Of course it did. Just saying. There. Somebody say hands. In this he said about Judah, hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. O be his help against his foes. In Joshua 24, verse 8, God says that I'm going to give the Amorites into your hands. In Judges 7, 7, God says, I'm going to give the Midianites into your hands. The idea here is that your hands represent your strength, 
your control, your ability, and God is saying, I'm going to grant these enemies into your hands. Your hands are your weapons of warfare. They are the symbol of a man's works, of his strength. In Nehemiah 6, 9, they said, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. Can I get a boo for that? Our hands are not going to get too weak for the work. They said, and it will not be completed, in reference to the temple of God. Man, but Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. Idea here is that God is able to empower our strength. That what was prophesied through Ben, what was spoken of through Daniel and other people throughout the service, is that your hands are your strength, but we are becoming something more than just the strength of men. Not only is the Lord trying to show you that the strength is in your hands, there are verses that teach you that the skill and precision of what you are to do is through the strength of your hands. In Psalm 18, turn with me to Psalm 18 and verse 34. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. You need to have your notebook there. Some we will wait for you. Some we will not wait for you. Can somebody in the room tell pastor, I'm going to be strong? We're going to be strong in the word. We're going to keep a pace. We're not going to lose it. We're going to go after it. And we're going to get all that God has for us today. Because we want to strengthen your hands. In Psalm 18 and verse 34, it says this. He, God, trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory, O Lord, and your right hand sustain me. You stoop down to make me great. Boy, isn't that great? What is the Lord trying to do in this passage? He's trying to train our hands for battle. Those daily things that we get involved in. What is the battle that you're facing today? What are those difficulties that seem to come back day after day? He's saying, I can strengthen your hands that you will get in there and be successful. I will get you what you need to get every day as you prepare for battle. Psalm 127 talks about like the arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. The idea that your children are to be arrows, but where are they? They are in the hands of a warrior. What are you going to do with your children? I don't know, because they're in your hands and you have to rightly develop them so that it can become like the arrows that the Bible is talking about. In Psalm 144, it says this, verse 1, Praise be to the Lord my rock. Somebody say, my rock. My rock. Who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Come on. See, before we talked about how the Lord was trying to train our hands for battle, in this passage, you might think about it and it, hear, it sounds the same to you. Now he's trying to train your hands for war. What's the difference? One, in your battle, it's an everyday kind of thing that you have to get engaged with. Every day you must put your hand towards righteous things. Every day you must defeat the enemy. And he's also reminding you that this is going to take a lot of days in a row. See, it's not just a singular battle. It is an entire war that he's preparing you for. And I love Psalm 144 because it says not only are your hands trained for war... I'll make your fingers deadly weapons. Because that's exactly what God has trained us to do, is to have the skill and precision to carry out His will. You'll notice something that has to be paired here. There is strength that is found in hands, hands that are anointed by God. There's also a precision that is found here. Have you ever known somebody that was strong? They were tall. They could lift anything. but They were as clumsy as all get out and had no idea how to use that strength. Love you. The Lord our God is gracious enough to us, not just to fill us with all of the zeal and anointing, the ability to be filled with the Spirit, 
but he also gives us the fruit of the spirit. He also gives us direction. He shows us how we use the strength of God and it is for our sons. It is for those where the heavenlies are warring for their safety. In this room, there is more than just being strong. It is strong in what the Lord has directed. The precision of what he's saying. His aim, his goal, his character in this house. God will anoint us, not just to be zealous all over the world, but zealous for his name and precise about what he wants. Deeds, whether good or bad, are also showing up in the scripture in relation to your hands. So Psalm 19 or 916 says, the Lord is known by his justice. Can somebody say amen to that? It also says the wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. Not what they believed, not what they said, says by the work of their hands. There's a larger principle at play here with your hands. And it's amazing the other areas of your life that are going to show up in your hands. In Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring in wealth. Proverbs 12.14, from the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things. As surely as the work of his hands reward him. Are you familiar with marriage counseling where we have the fruit of our lips are going to produce something? We work speech that is edifying. Your hands will find you out in the same way, good or bad. They either bring in a harvest or they bring in destruction based upon what we used our hands for. Isn't it amazing? We often give God uh, uh, some credit that I, I think we need to reconsider here. Of course, he is worthy of all praise, but listen to this. We look at God and thinks he just magically knows what's in our heart. What if it's that he's paying attention to what your hands are constantly doing? Yeah. What if the proof of your heart is in fact in your hands? Just like a child who says, I didn't touch that. Well, the chocolate is all over your hands, kid. It's all over you. We can see the remnants of what you've done. See, I don't need to be amazingly discerning in this case and hear from the Lord about my two-year-old who's gotten into the cookie jar. You know why? Because it's all over their hands. See, the Lord is often looking at us and he's seeing what your hands are put to. I love you, Lord. Amen. What are your hands being put to today? Come on. What are you doing today about it? See, because your hands are also God's instruments on the earth. The reason that it matters to him what you are doing with your hands, your deeds and not just your creeds, what you're actually performing is because our hands are supposed to be his hands on the earth. What an incredible thought. Pastor's hitting on something here that we can't miss. He's the one who formed you in the womb. He's known you from the beginning before you were even entering into this world. When I look at my son and his mouth is lying to me, but I know what is on his hands. Do we really think that here has grown people that we can do anything different? See, we justify inside of our own heart and mind why our hands are clean when they are not. By the same token, men in this room that are laboring for the gospel, sometimes you believe a lie of discouragement that is not founded in the scripture. And you allow that to take precedence of what your hands say God is doing through you. See, we have to have sober judgment here. He knew you from the womb. He knew you when he caused grace to work in your life for the first time. He is the same God who is working inside of you now. The question is, are we lending our hands to his full strength or just our mouth? Today, we are going to lend our hands. Come on, that is so good. Did you hear that? It's both a righteous alignment of what you're doing. If you are not performing with your hands, it should give you a true judgment about yourself. 
But that sober judgment also blesses you when you are doing righteous things and you just need to get over the discouragement that's trying to keep you from continuing in that. Amen. Man, that's a good word, Judah. In Zechariah chapter 4, it talks about Zerubbabel. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Now, Zerubbabel was in charge of this. He was the man giving the orders. And it says his hands did it because the impact of his work was that he began to lay the foundation of the temple, a rebuilding of the temple. And what happens, the Lord promises him here. and He says, your hands will also finish this work. In Zechariah 8, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets who were with them there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Come on. See, Zerubbabel started something. And there was a pause. There was a uh, work break. There was a lunch break that took place. And he had to be reminded again to get back to it. And don't forget what your hands started. Don't forget what I told you at the beginning. Go back and do the things that I shared with you at first to do. You've got to engage in this. And a few verses later, it says it again. Don't be afraid, but let your hands be strong, Zerubbabel. Come on, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, have strong hands today. Have strong hands. Come on, that's not speaking to anybody in the room, right? None of you have ever heard a call from God that you took a a commercial break on for a couple of years. See, the Holy Spirit is reminding us today of what He has spoken today and in days past. We are the instrument of God on earth. If we don't do it, it will not get done. When he wants to save his people, he sends Moses. When he wants someone to be discipled or filled with the Holy Ghost, he sends you. You are the instrument of God. Your hands are to represent him in every scenario. The power of God flows through our hands. That's how they are the instruments. They're not your hands anymore because you're clothed with Christ, right? You're his ambassadors, right? And Mark 5.23 says, A man pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Why his hands? Why not pray and 12 legions of angels come down? Why not so many things that the Son of God could have done? It's because the hands of a man are the representation of God on earth. Jesus is there testifying between what is in the heavens and what is down on earth. And something happens when we do that. Our hands as an instrument become empowered with the very power of God when we're in right alignment. In Acts 6, they're appointing men to be deacons, to be leaders. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. See, we're building a picture here that your hands are for the work. They're for the fight. They are to heal and they are to install leadership and authority. 1 Timothy 5.22 gives us a warning. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. You need to consider what you're doing with your hands. Whether it's your own personal sin or sin that you are giving tacit approval to. Our hands represent God's hand on earth. And Timothy is warning us. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands. You are not supposed to run around praying for every random person that God has not spoken to you about. Why? Because your hands are God's hands. You're not supposed to sit and testify to everything that you have not heard from heaven. 
We were warned about this on Wednesday. Practically how we put this into practice is where God says my hands go, that's where they go. If he has not spoken, then I'm not laying a hand on it. The end of this verse says, keep yourself pure. This is how you keep yourself holy. When you are the instrument of God and not your own devices or the devil's. Church, that's a good word. Isn't it strange for us as pastors, for us as men of God to be standing before you and say, be careful who you pray for? Wouldn't you think that there should just be a blanket statement that you get to go lay hands on anyone? But the word of God instructs us. Why? Because our job is to stand between the heavens and the people that we're engaging with and have one hands on the heaven and saying, God, are you still with me? Now I'm going to stretch out my hand here and be you for them. Isn't this what Aaron did in number 16? Mm -hmm. There was a plague that was sweeping through the people. And what did Aaron do? He went and stood between the living and the dead and, and fought for them. He was the hand on God and the hand upon men that had to be enacted. This is an important piece of directing your strength. We're not saying don't pray for people. We're saying pray for the people as God instructs you to. Because when you do that, see, then you have the potential for a miracle to happen every time you lay hands on someone. You are both your hands that are being laid on them, but you're God's hands that is also being laid upon them. And we get to carry out his will here on the earth. Pastor, it's almost like the gospel is not a one size fits all the same direction every single time. It's like we have two hands for a reason. Wow. This is incredible. Think about this. Repentance and the attitude of your heart are also shown in your hands. Everybody turn with us to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. As we're showing you examples throughout the entirety of the word... We're going to make a turn here in just a minute about making sure that you understand what you're supposed to do with this. Come on. Look at what the people here in Revelation 9, the rest of mankind, verse 20, that were not killed by all these plagues, still did not repent from the work of their hands. The work of their what? The works of their hands. Why? Because it was indicative of what was really going on in their heart. Now, you could read the previous chapters here and realize what we're talking about. This global time of great tribulation that is there and even seeing hail fall from the sky even seeing the heavens open up even seeing things will not change a man's heart if his hands have been so committed to wrongdoing look at what it goes on to say they didn't stop worshiping demons didn't stop worshiping idols of gold silver bronze stone wood idols that cannot see or walk they didn't repent they didn't change anything you know why because they liked what their hands were involved in They liked what they were doing so much. If you ever actually go witness to somebody as the Lord is leading and somebody just looks at you and go, yeah, I hear you, but I just really, really like my life. I'm happy. I don't want to change. I just don't want to change. I think you're right about what you're saying. I just don't want to change. Wow. At least they're honest. Yeah. There's something to be said. They're wicked about what they're being honest about, but they're, they're at least being honest Because they're saying, I just don't want to have my hands do anything different than what they're doing right now. See, today we're going to get our hands right, church. Come on. Come on, hold up your both your hands. Say, we're going to get our hands right. right. See, because we want to make these into weapons. Certified weapons of destruction against the kingdom of darkness. Come on, say it with me. Say full strength. Full strength. See, we're going to use our hands today in the way that God has prescribed. Because full strength requires something. 
See, our hands are the representation of our strength. Have you ever read in the Psalms where it says, lift up holy hands? You've been in worship where you're being called to respond by lifting your hands? It's because our hands are a symbol of what we are, our strength in lifting them up is submission. So in Revelation, they were worshiping idols that Pastor Wade just mentioned. That means they're submitting their strength to what those idols desire. The principalities, the kingdoms that are behind it. Today, we want to lift up holy hands. Hands that are trained for war. Hands that are ready for battle. Hands that are able to fire sons where they are called to go. But that's going to come in a very specific way. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 12. Man, you're going to like 1 Chronicles 12. If you haven't read this chapter in a while, you really ought to go back and catch some pretty amazing, amazing comments that the Lord makes. We're going to get a few of them for you. Say full strength. These were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones, right-handed or left-handed. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Amon, if this is not stirring your soul yet, you need to get in the presence of God. How much more do we need to say? These men were kinsmen of Saul. They were kinsmen of the enemy. They were aligned against the son of David, but something happened in their heart that changed. And they were not all following the king of kings. Can any of you remember the day that you turned from the enemy's kingdom into the kingdom of the son of God? I serve the son of David, and I'm longing for him to take his seat in Jerusalem, in Israel. These men were special because they left what was wicked and joined the king of kings. And their description was that they were able to perform these tasks, sling stones, shoot arrows, right-handed or left. Not the one that they preferred, not their favorite, not the one that came most natural. They had the full strength of God because they had both hands in the fight. They weren't a default to one or the other. They were directed towards whatever their king, their commander directed them towards. They were able to hold on to multiple weapons at once and be skilled in their usage of their strength. Do you want that? Yes. Then today we're going to learn to use both our left and our right hand in this fight. We're going to learn how to be ambidextrous in the things of the Spirit. Both hands equally as well. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30. And we're going to look at verse 21. You know, as we're we're thinking back to what Judah just read, these guys are able to do this right-handed or left-handed. I just want to tell you to dispel the idea that that I'm sure because I know you floats around in the hearts of every human being. Well, that was just some elite special group of people. What if it's that they committed themselves daily to the practice of doing this, and they became those special people. See, if they were just special, unique, made by the heavens to be ambidextrous, falling out of the sky, completely intact in superhero form, like they landed in Kansas somewhere. (laughs) See, that is what most of us do to actually preclude ourselves from becoming the things that we're reading about. Oh, I'm a separate category, Pastor. That doesn't, doesn't pertain to me. That's just you, Pastor, because you're called to be a pastor. See, the rest of us, we're just right-handed or left-handed because that's the way that we are. No, this is about a daily endeavor to get into the things of the Lord and train yourself for battle and to train yourself for war in both of your hands. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, it says this. 
whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What we're trying to get you to do, church, is not say right or left. We're trying to say that you need both. In this picture, what they're looking at is walking into the holy place and seeing on the right the, the, the table of God's presence. The song that we sang, we want to see the bread of your face. That's trying to hint at a word called panium. The very face of God as indicated by the bread that was left there in the holy place. Or how about the menorah on the left hand side? The very light of God's spirit. We're not saying that it's either the word or the spirit. We're saying, yes, you need both. And you need to be equally as skilled in the word as you are at hearing from the spirit. Because they are working in tandem that you might advance the kingdom of God. Which one do you want? Bread or menorah? Yeah, I want both. I want the right hand and the left hand here. That's why he's saying whichever way you turn, I'm going to tell you that you're getting it right. That your strength is increasing. See, that would be a half strength gospel if you just did the right or the left. Now you can insert your own knowledge here of what different religions have done. Of different denominations have done. Well, we're word-based. Amen. But where's the Spirit of God ever? Well, we're, we're charismaniacs. We got all the Spirit we want. Yeah, but you're so far from what the Word says. We don't want to do either. We want to have both. Come on. Because that's what God is doing. We don't want an impotent, flaccid, useless, feckless faith. We want to have something that is powerful in either hand that we have. Now, look. We're going to have full strength today. Somebody say full strength. Full strength. Because you're going to use the right and your left hand to accomplish what God is saying. Turn to Psalm 62, verse 11. While you're turning there, when we say right and left, when we say full strength, you hear me saying full strength. You hear pastor saying full strength. But what often comes to your mind is, oh, 50-50. We have a nice balance between these two things. Oh, we have the word and we have the spirit. No, what we're saying is right and left, striking like you don't care, like there is no reserve, there is no boundary. I'm in this to win this fight. I want all of the Word. I want all of the Spirit. And I will not settle for less. Can you imagine if God moderated His love to you with His wrath? He had a 50-50. I love Christy, but only half as much as I want wrath for her. No, He loves Christy and He corrects her. He loves Daniel and He corrects her. Our king is not a God of moderation. He's not a God of half-truths. He's not effeminate. He's not impotent. And he's not feckless. He is a God of wholehearted endeavors. And you cannot be his son without being wholehearted and in his endeavors. See, God is not asking you to be in balance. Somehow in our culture, we think that balance is a fruit of the Spirit. It's It's not. impotent. It makes you impotent in both directions. You're being half-hearted in two separate ways. You need to be full-hearted, fully committed. What does it mean to swing at someone as hard as you can right-handed? You've left nothing, and then what are you going to do? Well, that one has been completely expended. I've got to throw this one now, which allows this one to be reset. All you're doing is all that you have, not trying to teeter on some cosmic scale. And if you don't quite lean correctly, then you've imbalanced the scales and God can't work for you. Church, you are not on a tightrope. You are on a highway of holiness. A roadway of righteousness that you have some room here that if you're doing it with all that you have, I promise you won't fall off. You're going to keep moving forward and advance the kingdom. One thing God has spoken. 
two things I have heard. That you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you reward each person according to what he has done. With this in mind, can you not appreciate how amazing that is? I, I am so thankful that he is both strong, that he is able to hold a standard, an ordinance. He is able to deliver, save, and bring about judgment. And that he is altogether loving. He's not either or. He's not a little bit of both depending on what's going He is all. He is one. He is altogether loving and altogether strong. In that same sense, we are going to learn to replicate him today. That we are able to both be meek and led of the Holy Ghost and mighty. That we can be bold and strong with a left and right hand where we are not concerned about the consequences, the moderation of either, but going headlong into it. Go with us to First Chronicles chapter 12 and let's look at verse 8. We told you we're going to catch a few of these concepts today from First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 8. Say there when you're there. Say full strength when you're there. Full strength. Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, and able to handle the shield and the spear. Come on. See, they've got both a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. They are both able to stay there and take the fiery darts from the enemy and to advance against that same enemy. See, earlier we talked about men who could sling a stone or shoot an arrow. Those are long-distance weapons. I don't even have to be able to see the white of your eyes, as they used to say, from the battle times. Now, you're getting close enough where I can see you. I can see the expression on your face, but I'm not fearful about this. What I'm doing is I've got my shield and I've got my spear. And this is not the kind of thing I'm just going to throw at you and then be weaponless. I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to advance the kingdom. These guys are warriors that David is compiling. I want, to, I want to remind you of one thing. Later on in this chapter, it says this, Judith. In verse, I think it's 22. It says that day after day, men kept coming to David until he built an army and it was like the army of God. Amen. Day after day. Come on. Battle after battle. Little bit by little bit. He kept incrementally getting these guys who were incredible warriors who can handle. Right-handed or left-handed. Doesn't matter. I'll sneak out this side and I'll do it. I'll go this side. It doesn't matter to me because we're going all after it. This is the kind of army that David was building. Oh, we put it on the screen. Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. Amen. What if you look at David and you get discouraged because you're not yet fit for the army of God? What if you forget about the day after day part? You think David had an army that was fit like the army of God on day one? But because of his persistence, because of his all out right and left and right and left every day, he built an army like the army of God. Hallelujah. He just did not quit and kept throwing these blows against the enemy with all that he had. He's building that army out of us today. This happened in Israel and will return to Israel. And in a very real sense, we are participating in a heavenly army now. See, we need to contextualize this for a minute, though. What does it mean to carry around a spear and a shield? It's not just a fun homiletic that we're preaching with. A shield and a spear is meant to be used for something. What it means for you to have both a shield and a spear is that you're able to pick up a shield of faith. You're able to take something that should not take root in you and block it. 
No, I'm not going to do that. I have a great and precious promise. I know what it is. I'm seated with Christ. I'm clothed with Christ. That dart of the enemy, I'm not letting it have any root in my life. I have a shield. And then at the same time, not just to respond how God told you to in the moment, meek, humble, whatever it is that he's leading, but then to take your spear and pray, preach, fight. We are men and women that are able to retain the word of God and use it as our great shield. But then you take what else he has given you and you fight with it. What this may look like is somebody says something ugly to you and you choose not to retort, not to retaliate like Christ. You know what is better than that? How about you take three days where you're praying for that person that something might change inside of their life rather than just shrugging it off. We're at a war. We're not here just to take blows. Praise God for that shield. You're going to need it. But we are men and women that have a shield and a spear. Next part of this verse says these same men had the faces of lions. Verse 8. Faces of lions. And they were swift as gazelles. Come on, man. We're talking about somebody who's got faith, got a weapon, and is lion-like and fast enough to catch you. These men were equipped. They were capable. They were able to take a blow, deal a blow. And not only were they ferocious, they were able to come after you. They were not going to stay where they were at. They were lion-like and gazelle-like. Those two things don't go together in nature. Lions and gazelles are enemies. They're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. But you, man of God, are more complex than an animal. You are made up of a spirit and the word. You have a ferocity and a tenderness. You ought to reflect both hands that we find in the kingdom of God. Man, the faces of lions and as swift as gazelles. Man, if you're going to have to fight Daniel Smith today. Nah, bro. I'm a, uh, no, you had to. <laughs> my brain starts immediately going, well, my only chance is, the only chance guy. I got, besides a nine millimeter, would be, <laughs> would, yeah, would be if I could somehow outmaneuver him and be faster than him. That's my only chance. I'm not going to sit there. I got I to be quick or, or, or this is going to be over pretty quickly. <laughs> What if Daniel has the face of a lion and he's as fast as a gazelle? See, we are not talking about some one-sided, one-armed fighting technique. We're talking about having the entirety of what God has for you. This is not one hand tied behind your back. See, the Lord can do that. We can study on the right hand of the Lord and realize that he only needs one hand to do whatever he wants. Consider the hands of our Lord. Consider Him. He is the God who slayed the Egyptians and saved the Israelites in the same moment. That's a right and a left hand, man. Isaiah says of Him that He is coming with reward and recompense at the same time. Come on, that is a right and a left hand. He is the Word of God embodied in physical form, and yet He demonstrated how to wait on the Holy Spirit. That's a right and a left hand from our Lord. Wisdom intact, beyond Solomon's understanding, and all-surpassing power, stronger than David's sword. Man, that is a right and a left hand that we are seeing in the Word of God. Our God gives both counsel and causes understanding. Now, we, we have sayings in our language like, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah, our Lord can actually do both. He can both lead you to water and make you drink. You may not be able to. <laughs> you may not can. be able to. <laughs> Our God has a left and a right hand, and they are both mighty. He is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. 
and he is Israel's lamb and Israel's lion. Which of the two would you like to do without? Would you like to do without the lamb that caused you to be able to stand here? Or would you like to do without the lion that will redeem you? We need both of his hands, a left and a right, a left and a right. That left and a right hand is seen as he is both the suffering servant and the supernatural savior for his people. Amen. It's a left and a right hand. He is the priest prophesied about long ago. And he is the king of Israel yet to return to his people. See, that's the left and the right hand that we're seeing. He bears, he both bears our sin on his shoulders and stores up suffering for those who are sinful. That's a left and a right hand. The son of God and the son of man. How do these dualistic principles exist in one human being? He is both the son of God and he is clothed in flesh. He is both of something divine and walking around on the earth. See, this is, exists exactly as you do. You were dust that God breathed into. And something of that divine left and right nature is how you perform your function, your calling, and you bring about salvation. Our God is not a simpleton. He's not a bubba babbling on about his boat. He's neither a fearful fairy focusing on the stock market. He is the example of the biblical man. Yeah, see, biblical men understood that they needed both of their hands in the work of God. Think about Nehemiah for just a second. They had a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other hand. See, there was always something of this battling nature within us that we must do. They found no conflict of having to do something with their right and their left hand. They were men who tended sheep and taught kings. They were priests of God and lion killers. They were people who prophesied and were persecuted. They were disciples who made disciples, DCD. They were advisors and executioners. They were both meek and mighty. They were tent makers and tabernacle builders. They were moved by the Spirit and moved to spear Moabites. See, we've just showed you about the Lord. Now we've talked to you about men of the past, men throughout the Word of God. But what about you? Come on. I mean, isn't this what we're always trying to get to as a church? It's nice to talk about strength as a general thought. Other people have strength, yes. Our God, He is strong, yes. What about you? See, you yourselves, what we demonstrate in this room is that we're both sheep and you're supposed to be shepherds. Amen. We are living on earth and yet somehow seated in the heavens. We are the fragrance of life to some and we are the fragrance of death to others. We stand here divine and yet downright earthly in our construction. <laughs> you are all weak. Somebody say, I'm weak. Weak. But I think that our... One of our 12 gates says that we've been filled with all power. See, this is what we're talking about. We are both in the same moment. We are an ambassador of Christ and we are slaves of Christ. You are his servant. You are his slave. And you're his ambassador, his proclamation maker. You are his herald. All at the same time, we have dualistic principles that it is not an either or. It is a yes and both. I am the slave of Christ. I beat my body and make it my slave so that I might serve Christ. And I stand as his noble son and ambassador for the kingdom that is coming. See, you have been saved. But let's be honest. You're still being saved. Yeah. You're as bold as a lion and yet told to be quick to listen. It's not either or. It's both. See, we Bold are... as a lion and quick to listen. We are carriers of life. Because we are devotees to death. This is this left and the right principle that we're getting at today. 
Come on now. You are hard pressed, but not crushed. You are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. You're struck down, but you're not destroyed. Ladies, you have a quiet and gentle spirit and yet are bold and unbending to fear. You don't let it cause you to bend your ways. There are dualistic principles that are in each of us that we must grab hold of. See, we're moving beyond just the general things now. We're starting to dig down into our lives. I want everybody to turn to Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23. Proverbs 27, 23. Again, the Lord is directing our strength today. He's directing us. This is something that we need today to learn that we cannot be just left or just right-handed. That he's some monolithic God who can only do one thing at one time. He's going to be able to accomplish these things through the right and the left hand. I want to share with you a verse that, that is very personally meaningful to me. It says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Oh, pastor, you're a shepherd. So that would make sense that that verse means something to you. Give careful attention to your herds. I want to teach you a little bit about this verse. Come on. And it's not just so that it'll get in your brain. It's so that you'll be better at Im- implementing both right and left-hand principles in your own home. Can I do that for you for a minute? Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. These are two phrases. It might even be a left and a right of what we need to look at here in just a second. Uh, Let's put up that slide, if you would, Joy. Now, at the top, you see uh, information. The Hebrew is written from right to left. Everybody say right to left. Right to left. Those are two words. You see the numbers that they are correlated to Strong's words. 30, 45. That's the word yada. The words underneath it are how it's specifically used in this passage. Yada, yada. No. No. Like really no. How are you going to add emphasis when there's no bolding, no italics in your writing? You're going to say it twice. You're going to say really, really, really get to be intimately familiar with the face of your flocks. That's actually what that verse says. Intimately know the face of your flocks. Amen. Come on, guys. Can you, can you, when, when you walk into the church, have you ever had an elder that just looked at you and went, Something what's going on? Right there. Something in right. You hadn't said anything yet. You didn't express yourself. You're actually smiling, trying to say hi to him, but they just look at you. Everything's great. Hey, everything's fine. <laughs> I'm fine. But what happens is, if you are rightly doing this, what you can see is you know. I know when Judah's not doing something right. I know when he's troubled and burdened. I know, pastor. (laughs) I know when Judah gets tired. I know what it's like, the tired version of Judah versus the fully rested version of Judah. It's because it's always the tired version of Judah that I see. Got that extra hour today. That extra hour made it up, made up for last night. Let's look at the next phrase. Again, we're going from right to rest, right to left because that's the way that the Hebrew does it. Look or consider is that word. Look well to thy herds. The look well is the word for heart. How would you know that in English? How, how would you understand that it's saying you need to know the face of your flock? You need to consider and really, really look at and really understand and discern the heart of the herds. That's just for a shepherd. For sheep out in a field somewhere. Know their faces and consider their heart. What if the Lord is trying to tell us something here today? That we're supposed to know face 
and the heart of the people that we're leading. Let's take it out of my field. Let's take it out of me being a shepherd for you and let's put it in your world right now. You're supposed to be able to intimately know the face of who is in your household. Husbands, can you look at your wife and know what's going on? Can you discern that something is or isn't right going on just by the look? Because you're supposed to be able to do that. You're supposed to be able to intimately know what her face is like. Parents, can you intimately know when a child walks in the room? And by the way, it should be no more difficult for you to do that with each other as husband and wife than it is for you to look at a child and they're, they're troubled and they can't hide it. It's on their face. See, there's something that is important for us to get here. Husbands, if you're going to pastor your families well, if you're going to pastor your wives well, you know what you need? You both need to know their face, and then you need to look at the heart. Some of you were nodding your heads. Yeah, pastor, I can tell. We've, we've, we are close enough as a husband and wife that I can look at my wife and I can know that something is off. Do you dig in and find out what it is? You've got to dig in and repair brokenness that's in a heart. You've got to dig in and repair fear that is now starting to wash over them. See, I, I get to the privilege of meeting with you guys all week, every week. Do you know what one of the funniest, one of the most interesting questions to me is? I'll say, hey, what did your wife think about the conference? And a husband will look dead in the eyes. I've asked them what they thought about the conference. and They'll be like, oh, I thought about all this. And then I ask them, what did their wife take away from it? And they just look at me and I'm like, see, pastor, I... I, uh, I kind of made it up in the spot because it's me, so I can real hurry up and wind, rewind the tape and try to get something for you. But you have nothing available to me when I'm asking you, did you consider the heart of your wife? How, cultivate me, baby. Get it, Susanna. Get it. So <laughs> we're about to present a solution. I'm telling you in advance that I, we are going to look at the scripture at how it helps you do that. But first, I'm going to dig your hole up significantly deeper. If you've been three days without seriously digging in to how your wife's spiritual state has been over those last three days, if you have managed to make it to a third day and you don't know what passage of the Bible she has been studying, not that she texted it to you, that you looked at it, that you're looking into the face and the heart of your wife, then you have utterly failed. How can you pastor your home when you go three days without having significantly poured into her life and seen what is going on? I'm telling you this because I have done it. Because just two weeks ago, I'm repenting because there was a problem that was there for three days. That's the difference between life and death in your home. That I didn't actually dig into the heart. and I dressed the face like, hey, you need to smile. You need to be happy. We're going here. I did not do my job to actually get down into the heart. You know what it produced? It produced death. It produced death, both in an internal way and an external way. You are not pastoring your home if you go more than three days without actually digging in to what is happening with your children and with your wife. When you do that on a daily basis, though, like cultivating a farm, like watering it, like feeding it, you will start to see the fruit that you see in these people's marriages. You want to emulate them because of what they have done for 20 years. You don't get to take two weeks and decide that your marriage is going to be exactly like theirs. You do what they did to get there. That takes cultivation. 
that takes an intentional turning up of the soil where we are not just accepting the small things that are on an out. We, we, that is meant to cue you in. It's meant to, hey, you're missing something here. Now go into it and get it right so that we don't let things fester. The solution to this problem is found in one of your 12 gates. Ephesians 2, 6 says, God raised up us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. He both resurrected our situation and he seated us in the heavens. There is a left and a right that is at play here. He has raised you up and he has seated you on high. You are to raise your family up and seat them on high. You are seated next to the king of kings with all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. How about you lean over to him every once in a while and ask what you should do with your family rather than just assuming, you know, because it's your house. When you go over to somebody else's, you're praying, Lord, what is it that would be a word for them? What would be a word for them? And then husbands, we get home and we go, yeah, it's my wife, it's my kids. I already know what to do. Oh, I preached about this Wednesday and it struck me. We assume that we don't need help with the most precious things that God has given us. Know their face. Know their heart. You've been pulled out of the grave and seated with Christ. Do the same for them. And while you're standing next to Christ, ask Him to give you the words that are needed. Church, we're trying to direct your strength today. If you start doing these things every day. Yes. See, what He's saying is if you've gone three days. The other way to say that, if that's the left hand, then the right hand way to say that is... These are things that you should be doing every day in your home. Yes. See, I can't just look at Judah and decide that I want to be like where he is today. The right way for me to do is I see things in Judah's life and I need to follow behind and do the things that he did to get where he is today. See, that is a much better understanding of what discipleship really is. You're not trying to skip steps. You're trying to direct your strength in a daily fashion. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 together. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse eight says this. We loved you so much. Well, that's a great way to start off a verse that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Man, a brother in the Lord shared this verse with me this week because they had become so dear to us. See, there's not a tension between evangelism and discipleship. This one says that it must be both the right hand of discipleship and the left hand of evangelism. It's got to be both. We cared for you so much that we were delighted to share the gospel of God. Yes, do that. And our lives as well. Come on. Yes, do that. Which one do you want to do? You want to share your lives with somebody? That gets you in a, in a club. Hey, let's go sit down and watch a movie together. Only we share the gospel with them then those are the kind of, that produces the kind of people that want to evangelize and you don't care whether they actually get converted or not. You don't care that they're discipled or not because you're just a drive-by mercenary. See, unless you're willing to share your life with them in discipleship, it's not either or. This is both the left hand and the right hand of discipleship and evangelism. It's not the one that we prefer. It's not the one that is our favorite. It is both all out. One of your stones is going to be First Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You are both a chosen ambassador. You're a chosen priesthood. And you are called 
to praise and call others out of darkness. That we are not just special and anointed. We are special and anointed with a purpose that is to praise, demand, call, and bring others out of darkness. Let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 31 and verse 1. Exodus 31, 1. Somebody say full strength when you get there. Verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God and with skill, ability, and knowledge. See, what we want to talk to you real quickly today about is that you should be filled with the Spirit of God and you should also be filled with skill at the tasks that God has put before you. See, this is not an either-or kind of thing. See, in your workplace, let's talk about your workplace for a second. Yeah. We've talked about what it looks like in the home. We've, we've talked about what it looks like in all of these areas so far today. But what we're talking about now is the workplace. You're an ambassador in your workplace. Are you representing the Lord of all creation? Oh, pastor, I'm filled with the Spirit. I evangelize everybody at the workplace. Are you a good employee? Are you skillful at what your hand is doing? And if you're not, they are not either or. One is not spiritual and the other unspiritual. They are both spiritual. Amen. It is both a spiritual thing to be able to witness to someone there, full of his spirit, able to hear the moment that something needs to be said. And it is also a spiritual thing like Bezalel, who has the skill and is anointed to know when to use it and how to use it. Have you separated your spiritual life and your work life? Do you have different compartments of what you're doing? Have you decided that it's okay to be right-handed or (laughs) left-handed? What we need to have is real men of God who can use both the right and the left and demonstrate a life that fully gives glory to God. Ambassadors represent their leaders. And they are never off duty. You are always representing what God is doing. Consider for a moment here. Are you Bezalel, who is skilled and anointed? Or are you Jephthah, who is spirit-filled and stupid? Because it's either or. All of you have experienced something of the Holy Ghost here. Are you adding wisdom and skill to it? Is it a left and a right? Is it a left and a right? Or is it spastic? Because it's going to be one or the other. When I think about Bezalel, I always think about Rick. Uh, When I read the passage, his name comes to mind, a man that is spirit-filled and skilled. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. In every area of your life, that appeal is coming out. You are his ambassador, but it's not to be stationary. It's to make an appeal through your work ethic, through your diligence, through your integrity, as well as your speech and the power of the Holy Ghost being demonstrated. Let's turn to Psalm 78 and verse 72. This is a good one. Psalm 78 and verse 72. It says this, And David shepherded them with the integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. See, the shepherding heart that is there, that's like a right hand. That is a beautiful thing to see in someone who actually cares and is concerned for others. But there's a skillful integrity that also needs to be there. That's like the left hand here. You need both. Do you want somebody who has an amazing heart for you? I mean, do you want want somebody with that true shepherd's heart but has no skill in knowing what that you should do or how to lead you? Do you want somebody who is so skilled in knowing every detail of what should be done but has zero heart or concern for you? 
See, this is what what a silly thought for us to have. But why do we accept less in ourselves? See, you wouldn't accept that from the pastors and leaders that you have before you. You wouldn't accept someone with just a good old boy heart and ain't got much sense to him. Or man, that guy is brilliant, but he could care less about the people that are around him. Why do you accept an either or in your life? You're supposed to have a shepherding heart like David. You're supposed to have a skillful integrity about everything that you do. This passage is one of the Sutherland's stones that they kick around about their family. Can you not see that inside of Wade? Why do you love him? You love him because he loves you when you do not deserve it. I, you, 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 I know you do. I mean, I, I'm in the same category here. You love him because he cares about you when nobody really should. And he is skillful and has integrity in the way that he deals with sin. He's not going to tolerate it. And he loves you. We in ourselves are the temple of God. What is your temple without one or the other? Without the bread or the menorah? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that. That we are to be that temple. In the same way that Pastor Wade would not be the same pastor to you without it. You are not an ambassador. You are not a temple. You are not a cleansing agent on the earth. Without having both the heart of God and the deeds of God. Let's all turn to Hebrews 13 as we make our turn towards the closing here. Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 7. Somebody say full strength when you're there. Full strength. We need you to stay with us for the next few minutes because everything that we've been saying, we've been taking some, uh, as they call it, rabbit trails. Intentionally because we're feeling what's going on in the room and we're trying to speak to you. Not some other person. I hope the people who are watching online and by recording, I hope you're blessed. But we're aiming right at you today. We're aiming at this group of people in this room. See, and what we're doing now is we're going to turn and we're going to actually put this into some practical parts of this that you can do something with here. Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Come on. What you're supposed to be doing is looking at the faithfulness of someone and imitate their faith. Well, pastor, you just said that. You said, consider their faithfulness. No, no, no. Imitating their faith is you putting something into daily practice. You got to have the right hand of the daily practice and the left hand of a faithfulness that takes place over decades. You can demonstrate faith in a moment. In a singular moment, you and I can demonstrate faith. But you cannot demonstrate faithfulness unless you have many, 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 many days in a row of being, of operating in faith. If you will get this principle today, church, if you will get this right now, what I'm saying to you, that there is a difference between operating in faith in a moment and faithfulness that proves out over time. This will change our church. This will move us forward and direct our strength in some incredible ways. Man, you got to have an idea of what the Lord is going to do. I know the Lord has spoken to us about a thousand generations. Yeah, He has, but if you're not doing something today about it, you're not going to make it to generation number two. You're barely going to survive in generation number one. This concept that you cannot build your foundations in a day, but you have to build them every day. Come on. You can't get all the way to where you're going to go today. But you have to be working on it every single day. See, I'm your pastor. I get to talk to you. I get to hear from you. 
I am, I am weeping and praying over people all the time. And I know what you need. I know that we need to have both faith. This is not an either or, church. What do you want to give up? The daily practice? Well, you'll never get there. Do you want to give up and forget that the God has a vision and a promise and that he will fulfill it? No, you've got to have that so you're faithful in the day. You can operate in faith in a day and prove faithful over time. Your daily disciplines. Somebody say daily disciplines. Daily disciplines. This is what makes the most mighty men and women of God on Amen. the planet. Our daily disciplines. They didn't drop out of the sky the way that they are. They have daily disciplines. They daily get in the word. They daily pastor their wives. They daily pastor their kids. They daily do exactly what God has said. This may seem so simple that you may miss the importance of what I'm saying to you. There are people in here who do either the daily and they lose hope and they lose strength over time because they forgot why they're trying to do the daily. They've got cards in their pockets, but it's not affecting anything that they're doing in their life. They're reading through them, but it's not making them do something today about it. If you are going through your foundations and is not looking every time you see a verse and going, what am I supposed to do right now to make this happen? What am I supposed to do today to make this happen? Then you're missing why we have you have cards in your pocket. If you forget that God has promised you those future hope, the daily disciplines that lead you to the future hope is what we're trying to show you today. Now, if you have faith only for today, you may have two weeks on a project and then you, fi- then you fizzle out. Anybody ever started something and not finished it in the kingdom? Yeah, thank you for being honest and just about everybody raising your hand. Yeah. See, that is you forgot you did a one or the other. You were trying to build something one-handed. You were trying to fight one-handed and you got knocked out. What we're saying is you got to have both. You got to have both the hope for the future, the assurity that what he started in you, he will finish. But how will he finish it? You will fight every day to do everything that he tells you. See, you've got to have both of these. The daily disciplines and the hope for the future. Amen. The next verse in this passage is verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Saints, this is the old wine. This kind of life where we are considering a way of life and imitating it is what we have been covering during the One Association Conference. Pastor Wade is just teaching you how you physically do it with your hands. How you get into the details and make that come about. Levites, do not start out as walking into the position of a high priest. They don't immediately start doing what the high priest does. There is a process where they watch. Then they start to implement alongside. And eventually they are supervised. You do not walk in and expect to do what someone else is doing just by imitating the behavior. You do what they did to get there. You want to do what they do, so do what they did. Joshua did not start with the exact task and function of Moses. He started by doing what Moses did previously, faithfully pursuing the presence of God. He was his attendant, his servant. He went with him doing whatever he needed, but he followed what Moses had done to become the man that he was. Elijah and Elisha. One day, Elisha commented, what have I done to you? Elisha knew that what his son, his disciple was going to go through, was going to be difficult. He's telling him in advance that for you to do what I am doing, 
you're going to have to go to the things that I have already done. Elisha followed him around pouring water upon his hands, being his servant. This was covered during the conference. We're not here to review it. We're here to dig into what you're actually doing with your hands, that you want to become something. What is more difficult, to have a wedding proposal or to actually prepare yourself every day without shrinking back until you reach the day of the wedding? See, it takes some courage to stand up there and, and say, will you marry me? Out for the whole world to see. That is a faithful moment. It, faith in that moment. Just like praying for somebody. Just like evangelizing with somebody. What is a hundred times more faithful and God is looking for is what you do with your strength. Do you disciple that person? Do you prepare yourself for the marriage? What God is speaking to us about is how to bridge that gap from where you are. What the vision he has given us. And how do we do this? We're going to have to choose to be faithful every day. Remembering that holy pattern, that vision, and continuing to do it in the same way that these men already have. Think about Revelation 14, 12. This calls for patient endurance on, the, endurance on part of the saints who obeyed God's commands. That's the faith of a single day. And who remain faithful to Jesus over the course of decades. Right. See, left. this is the picture of right and left in everything that we're doing. Titus 2 says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's your shield, saints. It's a left. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That is a right. We are both going to say no to ungodliness and do what is right. Hebrews 10.36 says you need to persevere. That faith that takes place over every day. So that when you have done the will of God. When you've done the will of God. How can you get to doing and completing the will of God unless you've been faithful over the course of decades? Man, don't you want to be able to stand on any given day and saying, yes, I am doing the will of God. Every day I'm working on it and one day I can say that I have done the will of God. And that only occurs with faithfulness over decades. Man, I love Elder John and the Apostle John. 2-6, 1 John. Whoever claims to live in him... Faith, that something has happened where you're in Christ, must walk as Jesus did. Faithfulness. Point blank. That simple. Elder John and the Apostle John will tell you the same thing. Let's move on. Let's all turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we want to we show you something. Because there were men who had faith and they were faithful. You had a man like Noah who was building a boat. And after a century or so was able to get on the boat because he had remained faithful. Moses saw a pattern in the heavens, and every day he had to sit with craftsmen and line up their work to what he saw. That's got to be tedious. People don't like to be corrected in that way, but to reach the holy pattern, daily we have to implement it. Solomon began and completed his work with the temple. He didn't just start it, but he finished it. Zerubbabel started and had a little reminder halfway through, but he got it done. (laughs) In the book of Kings, chapter 20, it says that there's a difference one who puts on his armor should not, like, should not boast like one who takes it off. Come on. Hey, we've got a lot of folks in this room who've been putting on armor. That's not where we're allowed to boast. Mm-mm. Pastor, I had faith in a day. I mean, you saw me down at the altar. Pastor, today, today was a good day. <laughs> Amen. You should, not like, you should not boast like one who has now completed the task been victorious in the battle, has won the war, and can now take off the armor that they put on in the first place. See, that's where we're, we're building our strength today. We're going to start looking at you and just saying, Amen. I'm looking forward to talking to you on Tuesday. And do that every single time. <laughs> Ephesians 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're going to pair this with another verse. Our singular aim is to be like Christ in maturity, the fullness, everything that Christ is. This is what we are aiming for in one hand. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of us should be careful how he builds. See, what Judah just did is he gave you the aim. He gave you what the right hand is. You know that you're going towards maturity. How do you do that? You come back with the left that is being thrown with all of your might, that you're paying attention to every day and how you're building and what you're building with and what exactly are you following the pattern. This is the left and the right of what the Lord is showing us. You ever wondered how you bring heaven to earth, how you bring the kingdom down as Jesus prayed? It's by holding on to those heavenly promises, that heavenly vision where he is bringing you and the earth, the reality on the ground, the situation that you're in. Men have a divine and a natural nature. It is our job to recognize both and bridge the gap so that we can have heaven on earth. Luke 6, 46, I will show you what he is, 47, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. This is the maturity that the Ephesians is demanding us uh, of us. It's aiming us at it. That we both hear and put it into practice. Look at verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation. See, so you've got the goal of what we're supposed to be doing. Hearing the words and putting them into practice. But how do you do that in a daily fashion? What is the left hand here? It is digging down deep. Somebody say dig down deep. You've got to dig down deep. Well, I, I did. I, what, is, what does it take to dig down deep? What, how, how deep is deep enough? The answer is you keep going until you find the bedrock, until you're able to lay the foundation. You keep working of this in a daily way. See, we don't need a one-armed kind of foundation. We've got to have a full strength. We've got to have a full right swing and a full left hand. You've got to do both in every situation. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Saints, he began a good work in you. We are confident that he will bring it to completion as you devote your strength. Both left, both right. Say left. left. Right. Right. Today we want to charge you to pick both of your hands and fight. Fight in your workplace. Fight for your home. Fight for what is right. Fight for the skill and integrity you need and the heart of God. Pick up both your hands and go to the long-term war. Fight today, but war long-term. Today, we're going to pick up our hands and work. Can I get that word from somebody in the room? Work. work. You young men are hearing me. Work. work. We are going to be men who are fighting with left and right, that you're spirit-filled and skilled. Pick up your hands and pastor your home. Amen. Right and left. Heaven and earth. Loving kindness and strength. We will be the men that God has called us to be today. Let's all turn for our final scripture to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 4. See, what you have to understand today is that it's not enough just for you to be thinking about what you should be doing. Those honeydew lists, those to-do lists of little small things around the house that you never seem to get around to. See, you cannot do that in the kingdom and expect to advance. Mm -mm. 
You cannot be ignoring the very things that are going to tear you apart. Those small foxes that will spoil your vine. See, what we're trying to do is empower you, both right-handed and left-handed, that you will begin to deal blows to the enemy, that you will begin to conquer things in your life that you must conquer. In verse 4, it says this, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Here comes the left hand. In great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in beatings, in imprisonment, in riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, and hunger. See this left hand of adversity that is a part of your life that must be expected as a believer. With that left hand of adversity comes a right. Impurity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit and sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Look at how the the combos begin to fly in this Word of God. I know we started off with a C.T. Studd quote, but C.T. Studd was only trying to emulate what he saw in this passage. Through glory and dishonor, right and left. Bad report and good report, right and left. Genuine yet regarded as as imposters, a right and a left. Known yet unknown, a left and a right. Dying and yet we live on, a left and a right. Beaten and yet not killed, a left and a right. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, a left and a right. Poor, yet making many rich, left and a right. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We're going to pray and worship here very, very soon. What we want to do, just as family, we're not going to beg you. We're not going to demand of you. We're going to point to what the scripture says and let you wrestle with it. Have you turned God into a one-trick pony in this room? Have you overemphasized one area that is your personal preference? Does your life look like the list of men in the Bible that are comfortable being an all-out priest when they come home and being a lion where they need to be, being meek and mighty at the same time? Has your home been pastored in the way that Pastor just showed us out of Proverbs 27? Has your evangelism and your discipleship been full strength or has one or the other been stronger we are not looking for compromise in any area we're not even really looking for tears or emotion we're looking that you might stand with a genuine honest heart about where you are at in relation to the scripture and then say lord strengthen my hands the the god of all creation might strengthen you to walk out of here and have faith but be faithful That we would pick it up and we would run with it. That we would be strong in the work that we have. That we would not take where we are as the final step. I have a little bit of this. I have a little bit of the word. That you might be men that are fully empowered in every area. Our heart is for you. That you might win. That you might go in ready to die and come out victorious. That the God of all creation would smile on you enough today to empower you in a way that you have never felt before. When we stand, pastor is going to pray for us. Go get what you need and expect that the Holy Ghost will empower you. Don't be satisfied with anything less than all-consuming power being in your hands today for your wife, for your children, for the calling that he knows you has ahead of you. I'm not even speaking about you. What about those that are depending upon you right now? Let's cry out to him as a body for that power and make up our minds. We will be faithful at this altar, but we are going to be faithful 
down the road with every moment that keeps coming up where it's easier to choose something that is compromised, but we're going to choose what is right. Stand with us as a body. Mighty God, we cry out to you right now. Lord, you who are ultimately faithful. Lord, may we demonstrate faith every day. Lord, every single day in our lives, Lord, you are trying to direct our strength today. You are trying to encourage us today. Lord, it is not enough to just say things and not have our everyday life moving towards this. Lord, help husbands to have the faith in the moment to be able to see not only the face, but know the heart of their wives and of their children to pastor them well, Lord. Lord, that you would move us, Lord, to not only faith in a day, but faithfulness over time, over decades. Lord, that we can look to the thousand generations and know that that faithfulness is there on your part, but having the faith to walk in it every day so that we, that our generations may find your strength and your power. Lord, help us to deliver blows with all that we have, both right and left hand, not holding anything back for ourselves, but exhausting ourselves in your work expelling everything that we have and crying out to you, Lord, that you may fill us again. Help us today, Lord. Help us to be both have faith in this day and the faithfulness that moves your heart, that stirs you over decades of us doing exactly what you tell us, Lord. We love you.